Looney Larry? Yeah, he scares me. Volkswagen North Scottsdale employees are worried about their new general manager, Larry. He called NASA to see if they could build an engine that runs on customer satisfaction. That's not normal. Until August 31st, 2018, get a new 2019 Jetta S Automatic for a stupid $16,595. Available only from VW North Scottsdale. Must finance with dealer to qualify and cannot be combined with any other offers. Voices. He hears voices. VW North Scottsdale, your dog-friendly dealership. Get a leash on life. Scottsdale Road in the 101 at com. Welcome to the outhouse. Did you always realize you were gay? No, I just said I had great taste. When did you actually come out? How are you not a mess? <laughs> no. Well, I got better. Did you ever yell at your penis? Sorry, going bad. Oh, wow. uh, Steven, did you listen to that episode? I didn't listen to time. <laughs> <laughs> this is really getting frustrating. Did you have an exam? No. No. I'm sure I'll be good today. And this is the outhouse. <laughs> The nature of our podcast deals with sexuality in some uncomfortable situations. We think this makes the stories authentic, personal, and relatable. With that said, thank you and enjoy the episode. All right, let's. Uh, I guess let's just go ahead and get going. Um, welcome to the outhouse. I'm your host All Matt, right. and with me today is Lee. Uh, Lee and I are doing a um, a Skype interview. Welcome, Lee. You want to tell our listener where well, everybody thank, is? Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Lee. I live in the Bay Area in California, and I am one of the hosts of a podcast called History Is Gay podcast, where we examine a um, sort of global through line of queer history and talk about how history has never been as straight as people might think. That is so true. I've been listening to the Arabic episode. It's like medieval Arabic uh, writings. Mm-hmm. First of all, I never mm-hmm. knew there was so much into like uh, lady on lady action. Uh, I'm getting quite the education. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting, um, especially for so much of, of human history. A lot of, I mean, mainly men who are writing history couldn't even fathom what, I mean, at least in Western history, a lot of men couldn't even fathom what two ladies would do with one another. But then you get this really interesting contrast in the uh, Arabo-Islamic world, where there's basically an entire manual. So uh, that was really interesting for us to discover. So I'm at that portion of uh, your podcast where it it is very clinical. It's, uh, they're they're explaining exactly how to do things. I think it was called the saffron rub or (laughs) saffron push. Uh, Saffron massage, yeah. Yeah, that was oh. one of our, our favorite <laughs> euphemisms that we're we're big fans of of just queer euphemisms is a lot of fun stuff. <laughs> well, I definitely look forward to listening to the other episodes, and I hope my listeners will do the same. Oh, thank you. So, Lee, you've agreed to come on and share a, a coming out story of yours for our listeners and for our audience. Uh, how would you self-identify? Um, so, I identify as queer, both in a uh, sexuality and romantic attraction sense, as well as my gender expression and identity. Queer just kind of feels very comfy for me. Um, I've in the last couple of years also in terms of my gender been identifying as non-binary. I I never quite felt super comfortable with the term lesbian for myself. It just never felt like a fit. And then when I discovered queer, it was like, oh, that gives me the freedom to, you know, not feel so boxed in by things. You know, even though I tend to 
primarily be attracted to, you know, women. But um, yeah, so queer and non-binary is generally how I identify. Is it um, she or he? Or how, how, I mean, how do we address that? Um, I use either she or they pronouns. Either one tends to be fine. Okay. Uh, again. Yeah, no, it's, it's always so. good to start that out. So about what age um, did you realize that you weren't quite the same as others and you felt queer, as to use your words? Well, in terms of sexuality, um, I, I joke about this, that Eliza Dushku as Faith on Buffy the Vampire Slayer made me gay. <laughs> Um, (laughs) I remember being like maybe 12 or 13 and watching that show and I was inexplicably obsessed with that character and that actress and I just really really loved her uh you know her portrayal of the character and she's a really talented actress and you know it wasn't until a couple of years later that I realized oh wait there's something else going on here there was a, a girl in my um, like in seventh grade that kind of started out as um, as a bully. And I, I wanted so badly to be friends with her, even though she wasn't very nice to me. I wanted so badly to be friends with her and I never quite understood why. And it wasn't until several years later that, and once I had, you know, really kind of felt comfortable in my queer identity that I went, oh, Oh, yeah, I had a big gay crush on that girl. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I'd say I, I started really kind of realizing for myself what was going on, maybe about, like, 13, 14. Okay, I get that. And yeah. identifying, I guess, as uh, non-binary, how, how does that manifest? I mean, gay and lesbian, was it more lesbian at first? And then you're mm-hmm. like, well, let me pull back on that a little bit. And not to get into yeah, your sexuality well, I don't that know. much, I mean, just in general. No, no, I, I'm, I'm totally open to, to talking about this. Um, I mean, lesbian was kind of, it, I don't know, for some reason people would call me a lesbian and it just, it never felt right. And I don't even know if that, you know, happens to be a gender thing. It just, I never, I never felt like the term really felt, um, like it was mine to use. I don't know why. But in terms of the gender things, it's more of a, a more recent thing, I think, as, as I went on in life and I started having more and more friends that were non-binary and, and more and more trans friends, I started just noticing some things within myself and started kind of exploring some things. And honestly, I think it was when somebody asked me on Tumblr, they sent me an ask on Tumblr that was like, are you cis, right? Are you cisgender? And I realized that I couldn't immediately answer that question. And that kind of made me sit back and go, okay, maybe there's something here. I don't, quite know. And I still, to this day, um, you know, I struggle with finding any sort of label because I feel like I don't really know a specific identity that my, you know, gender lands in. But I know that, you know, I tend to joke with friends that, like, you know, if anybody asks me what my gender is, I, you know, say, oh, my gender, my gender is sounds of truck passing by, (laughs) you know, just kind of (laughs) any, any opportunity to be like, I don't know, a giant exclamation point and a question mark. Who knows? Um, I know there's something going on there. (laughs) I could totally visualize that conversation. I did. I did. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that really solidified it for me was I remember several years ago, I was, um, I worked in a, in a bookstore in a mall and I was walking with, um, my coworker who was also queer and we were walking through the mall and I, I said out loud to her kind of to myself, but also to her just to kind of test the waters, the idea of like, you know, for a long, long time, I've looked at men's clothing, like men's tailored clothing on mannequins 
um, as, as young as I can remember and wanting those clothes to look like that on me, but I didn't feel like a boy and I didn't really want to change my body and I didn't have any problems with my body, but like, I just, I just wanted those clothes to look like that on me. And, oh wait, no, actually I didn't say those things. She said that. She said that to me and I looked at her and I said, I have never met another person that has had the exact same thing as me. That was so, so strange um, to hear that and to hear that validation. Um, and then, you know, now, surprise, we're both <laughs> we're both uh, non-binary. So <laughs> but it was a very relatable thing of like that's that that specific experience of, of me having those feelings specifically around like, quote unquote, men's clothing and the way that it fits on, you know, typical sort of, you know, cisgender masculine bodies um, and and envying that for myself. But like knowing that I wasn't a boy kind of started making things fall into a little bit into place that there's something else that, you know, isn't necessarily in the purview of like a cisgender woman who is, you know, totally set in, in their gender. So before we go further, I'm always amazed how how much clothing and like stereotypes play into this type of story. I've had several, several, I've had a couple of other uh, non-binary guests and we spend a lot of time based on clothing. Do you mm. think clothing is just more of an outward well, expression of what you're feeling? Yeah, I mean, clothing has so much to do with gender expression. And, you know, I mean, gender identity and gender expression are, you know, separate entities, but they, they blend into one another so well. And, you know, I think for me, it tends to really... One, one of the only things that I, you know, tend to experience any sort of, like, gender dysphoria around is specifically clothing. Like, I want so badly to be able to have, like, a men's suit and have it fit like that on me. Um, and so the only times I really kind of feel those disconnects is if I'm, like, going shopping and the clothes just don't quite fit right. But on my own, you know, I don't tend to, like, have those feelings on a day-to-day -day basis unless I'm specifically trying to present in a certain way with those clothes. And I think it's a really gotcha. interesting interesting thing to think about because, like, you know, there's so much that clothes tell us about the way that we present ourselves to the world and the way that the world, you know, experiences us and puts assumptions on us as well. Okay. So at 13, 14, you realize, and oh, about how old were you when you had this conversation with your friend at the mall? Oh, uh, this was, um, yeah, I was probably, uh, I don't know, this was probably like six or seven years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's that's a more, you know, the gender stuff is a more recent development, but I've been a big old queer mo for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so when you realize that's one thing, but then the, the urge to come out or be outed, I don't know which one happened for you, but what, <laughs> what was happening about that time? when uh, you came out or were outed. You want to set the scene for that story? Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I think I came out. So I came out to my friends in school, I think probably around 15. And it was really more like one of my, you know, friends since childhood pulled me aside and said, are you gay? And I was like, uh, yeah. I think my cousin was actually the first person that I ever came out on my own to. You know, we we were having a conversation and I told her and she was like, cool, I am too. Um, and, you know, her oh, she's wow. kind of fluctuated in various identities over over the course. Yeah, I mean, we were we're so close. Like we I had a sister, um, but she was really more like a sister to me than a cousin. We were very close and very close in age. We were just a couple of months apart um, and we were, you know, we grew up together reading the same books and interested in the same fandoms and things like that. 
that. So it just kind of made sense that that was the first person that I really told. In, in terms of my parents, though, it's funny because right. I have like several sort of different coming out stories as, you know, as we all do, right? We're constantly coming out. But uh, <laughs> I, I've, other than other than my cousin, I've never really gotten to come out to any of my family. I have been uh, outed. But, you know, other than... It, it, Unlike in many, many other, you know, un- many unfortunate people, my outings actually ended up pretty interesting and funny. My parents found out when my, uh, when I was like 14 or 15, something like that, and I had been talking with a girl online. <laughs> we were like in some fandom together and we were like kind of pseudo dating. And then she came to visit with her dad so that we could meet. And then, uh, my parents caught us uh sitting on the ground in my room making out <laughs> so <laughs> that's Busted. how that happened <laughs> Yeah, busted. So yeah, I mean, I was very, very lucky in that, um, you know, I have such a supportive family. It took, you know, I think it was a little bit of a surprise for them. It took a little bit of time before, you know, they realized that it wasn't kind of a phase that I was going through, but they were always supportive. But I remember like my mom, you know, saying things like, oh, I would have known if you were gay from, you know, when you were a child. I've had so many lesbian friends. I would have known, you know, but like, (laughs) you know, she's, she's since I just like recently, uh, in the last couple months actually came out to my mom as as trans as non-binary and you know at that point like she knew and she was just waiting for me to to find the right time to say it to her and that was a really good experience um which was really nice uh, so can we go back <laughs> for a second yeah when you're when you're busted and you're you're 15 and the floor with your friend what was your first thought when you know your your mom or your dad came in you're like oh oh what yeah i, th- I think i was just like oh shit um <laughs> That I'm going to have to explain. Um, And this was like the first girl that I had ever dated. And like literally when she came to visit, uh, you know, like I think we went to, um, (laughs) you know, I was living in Southern California at the time and there was like a a little kind of mini theme park sort of place that we all went to. And, you know, I had had a couple of like boyfriends in junior high, high school. So I must, I must have been like 15 or 16 then because I was in, I was like a freshman in high school maybe, or maybe eighth grade, something like that. But I remember... I had had a couple of a couple of boyfriends and oh boy I was like I just never understood why people were interested in kissing I was like this is I'm not it what this is not pleasant um and then you know like that girl like I kissed my first girl in like this like bathroom of like a theme park and I was like oh oh that's why people kiss okay yeah yeah it was like okay that's that's why people do the kissing thing oh a different geez. type of theme park <laughs> <laughs> um yeah yeah uh different kind of theme park indeed so yeah so, so I think dad, it was you know like I was kind of right just recently or? explaining things um yeah I mean it was a couple of days after she was also oh boy that was a that was a hot mess she was a little she was a little crazy uh i learned later (laughs) uh yeah uh i i uh i knew how to pick them in those days you know the the early days of like internet relationships you know like early you know like early 2000s was a different different time (laughs) okay so i guess i'm trying to find out so that incident happened and um your parents 
kind of knew right then, but they gave you some space. Mm-hmm. I mean, what was dinner like that night? Yeah, I think they, oh God, you know, I honestly, like, I remember the events around these things, but I don't remember the reactions so much. Like, I think it was, you know, it was very much a conversation of, you know, we still love you, but I think they were trying to figure out what was going on. Like a lot of parents do have to, you know, kind of put those ideas that they had for their child kind of you know, in the back of their brain or somewhere else and kind of rejigger, you know, your plans and your ideas and your dreams in the future. Honestly, I don't have a lot of a lot of memories around that, you That's know, the, the immediate fallout from that. Um, but I, I never, ever felt, I was very lucky in that I never, ever felt any sort of fear that I would be kicked out of my house. That's you know, great. It was, it, I think the most that I ever felt was kind of like annoyance of like, okay, why don't you guys get this yet? Like, this is just who I am. And even if it changes, <laughs> later in life even if i end up you know being attracted to a boy like this is what's going on right now um, so at that time did you they, know, i think it was kind of the more lesbian? annoyance yeah yeah i think so you know and, and for me like that was kind of the only term that i really had i mean i've always kind of more identified with gay you know gay or queer i think i think what you know was was funnier was several years later when i I found out that my my grandparents had um <laughs> my parents had come out to my grandparents for me and I found this out as a as a surprise <laughs> uh which led to a really hilarious visit with grandma and grandpa <laughs> Which is like that one's my favorite story to tell around my coming out because it's you just show up one day really and they're like, oh, odd. hey, we know something. Yeah, well, it was so I, you know, growing up, my my grandmother and my my grandfather, who um, this is on the paternal side, I was really close with my grandfather, who was an artist, and so like throughout my entire life, right, we would go over to you know Grammy and Papa and Papa's house, and um, there would be art all over the house, and you know there would be like some nudes you know and 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 some landscapes and various things like that and he would always take me into his studio and every time I would visit he would give me you know some sort of art book some sort of book you know on different art styles and we would practice and he really nurtured that in me and then and then like one time I came to visit and suddenly there like the amount of nudes up on the walls like tripled or quadrupled (laughs) like suddenly they were all over there was even like one painting of like two women (laughs) like together like cunnilingus happening right there and like my grand and like my grandfather took me into his studio as he usually did and like he just like gave me all of these books on like studying the female form and like drawing nudes (laughs) and my grandma took me aside and suddenly started telling me about all these lesbian weddings she had been to in san francisco and i just remember like coming downstairs and pulling my mom aside and being like, um, mom, (laughs) did you happen to tell Grammy and Papa something? Uh, (laughs) did you happen to tell them something, uh, about me while I was away at my first year of college that I didn't get a chance to say? Uh, But I just like, I just remember like walking into the house and like having these whirlwind experiences and going, something is different here. Something has occurred. And being like, oh my Um, God, so much gayness is being thrust in my face by my grandparents. (laughs) 
so overly supportive. That's awesome. I, I think having that much support in your family from yeah. the get-go is, I mean, it's understandable if they're um, a little confused or they need to catch up for a bit. I get that. But to have that support and probably right away, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it, it in the case of the grandparents, it was, you know, quite awkward and a little bit too much in the other direction. But I feel very, very grateful and lucky to know that that was, that was never going to be something that I really quite had to worry about in terms of like my parents and my family not loving me or not supporting me. Um, you know, I didn't quite know how people would react, but I feel really, really lucky that that was never a, a fear of mine that ever had to be, um, you know, that ever had any supporting evidence. Like, I nice. had I had those fears because I knew that that happened to people. Um, but just the way that we were raised, you know, it was always like, treat other people with respect, treat other people with compassion, you know. People who are different than you are just as just as valid and just as valuable and worthy of love and respect and compassion. So well said. We're like, oh so. gosh, yeah, yeah. You know, we we may have had some you know somewhat humorous stories where I'm being outed, but like, oh gosh, it's you know, don't ever out people. Oh my god, right? There's some such so, such terrible things can happen from that. You know, like we, you know, I got I got real lucky in that in that kind of situation. So me living in Arizona and and uh, I can only imagine that it just seems like California is very much more accepting. Am mm. I wrong in the assumption that it's just everything is OK there? Like you could be out and it's never an issue. I mean, I wouldn't say that it's never an issue. I would say that the the atmosphere here is certainly more friendly Um but, you know, just like anywhere, there's, you know, a lot of dangers being outwardly and, and you know, proudly queer. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, you know, there was a really horrific hate crime here in San Francisco against a gay couple. And, you know, especially talking about things for, you know, some of the most marginalized people in our community, like trans women of color, it doesn't matter where you are, are experiencing in- innumerable acts of violence um, that other people in our community, you know, don't experience at nearly such a rate. But, you know, that being said, it is certainly safe safer to be here um and certainly I, th- I think you know easier to find clusters of queer community than it is in a lot of rural places in the united states so i mean there's there's that but you know as always like you know we're living in a scary time um so <laughs> yes you never quite know what you're gonna come up against so well because the the town that i grew up in in southern california was actually is that is still actually relatively uh conservative and so you know i had like a nice little pocket of my my family being you know pretty liberal um you know nowadays i would you know describe myself as progressive but um the you know the town that i lived in had you know a church on every corner at an intersection and i you know i was able to start a you know gay straight alliance in high school but it certainly took a lot of effort and it was not a a wider community that really supported that and coming home from college my first year and being in i went to school in santa cruz and um and seeing like no one prop eight signs everywhere which was you know the the california uh, proposition to ban same-sex marriage you know seeing no on prop eight signs everywhere in santa cruz and then coming down back back home and seeing yes on prop eight signs everywhere was uh kind of a you know 
kind of a like a culture shock coming back and going oh yeah that's right this is what i left um and i remember going to a vigil for <laughs> prop 8 after it you know after the election happened and after um after it passed and uh and like a like a reporter came to the vigil and talked to me and talked to my father and none of neither of us said anything about my sexuality i think my you know my dad said something like oh, i'm just here to support you know i'm here to support my daughter <laughs> and then like the local newspaper quoted my father you know being like i'm just here to support my daughter he said comma talking about his daughter who is a lesbian i was like oh thanks <laughs> thanks for outing me out uh, thanks for outing me to the literally entire community. If anybody didn't know before, now they do. It, so. Isn't it? A, it's a surreal yeah. experience um, when you go from a really accepting place to, uh, well, like, for instance, here in Arizona, I, I just have to turn the corner, and it's a it's a very Republican state, uh, conservative state, and uh, mm. I, it's tough for me to wrap my head around the thought process why they would think this way. Mm, yeah, it's I so mean, I get it. it's it's certainly difficult to yeah, it's certainly difficult to wrap your head around. I mean, I think people get really comfortable in their spheres of privilege and are afraid of giving those things up and are afraid that they will get, you know, eventually they will get, if there's any sort of, you know, stemming the tides, they are afraid that they will get treated the way that they have treated other people all this time. And, you know, that's not what marginalized and oppressed peoples are looking for. We're just looking to not get, I don't know, killed, barred from housing, barred from just, you know, barred from employment opportunities and just a regular life. All of these things, just a regular life. I mean, the gay agenda is like, let me wake up and (laughs) I don't know, go get some tacos, watch some TV. TV, you know, that's, I don't know, that's my gay agenda. Right. Um, Nothing so nefarious as destroying the sanctity of marriage. Like, uh, they, they were doing a fine job on that on their own. Um, okay, so <laughs> so I think we got past, like, the out story, and uh, it sounds like you've adjusted well, and not, not that there was anything you had to adjust. It seems like life around you has adjusted well. Um, how how mm-hmm. are you now? What's, uh, what's a normal day-to-day, I don't know, I don't even know how to ask that question. How are you now? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty great. I've, you know, I've been out for a long, long time. And I've really kind of, you know, since I was a teenager, I've really made it a large part of my life. Um, you know, obviously, it's not everything in my life, but it is a significant part. And, you know, I've, in some ways, kind of built my career around it. Um, I, you know, I, I worked at an LGBT nonprofit. And now I, I run this podcast as a side thing. You know, I work in a, in a very queer friendly place for my day job. And I, you know, I think about doing things like leaving California because it's becoming impossible to live here with uh, rent costs and other various costs of living. But I, I feel, you know, very limited in that I've, I've grown up being able to feel comfortable in being out and knowing that I can be authentically myself in my home, in my job. It's been so long since I've ever had to feel like I had to be closeted and the idea of, you know, moving to a place where I do not have that safety net of, you know, employment non-discrimination laws and housing non-discrimination laws. It, it's, you know, I, I, I have so much respect and so much awe for people who are living in states and in countries where Arizona. there is not that protection. Um, <laughs> and I, and I, yeah, and I, I don't know. I I mean, I honestly, like, I don't know how you do it. And I don't know that I could, at this point in my life, having made so much of myself surrounding the queer community and surrounding, you know, queer history now in my, uh, in my hobbies, I, I don't know that I could do that. I don't know that I could, you know, lock that door 
you know, put that piece of myself inside a box and lock it again in order to, you know, feel safe in the everyday workings of my life. Um, and, you know, I feel very privileged that I am in that situation right now and that if I go to any place like that, you know, it's a choice for me. And I know that that's not the situation for a lot of people. Well, as a as someone who's not there in California, um, you know, I kind of joke about Arizona, but it's it really has uh, evolved. A lot of people are supportive. I'm out at work. Other people are out at work and um, they know what I do with my podcast. So you still have that that envelope of support around you, even in a place like this. It, it seems to be, it's the people who run for office and the government and the, the, the structure that seems to be stuck in their ways. And it seems like mm. the people are more flexible. And And I know that if there were ever a law passed here that infringed on my rights, um, I would have a large support group who would defend my rights and my husband's rights. So um, so even though mm-hmm. I joke about Arizona, it's, it's, it's you know, I, I think we're doing pretty good here. We could obviously we could do better, but we're doing. Yeah, all. you know, I I sit in my privilege and I think about I I don't think about these things until it you know pops up and I have so many friends in so many different states and then I hear about a friend who got fired because their boss is homophobic or transphobic. You know, it just it just jolts me back to this reality and I think about like how much more we need to do. There are so many people who think that like same sex marriage being legalized around the United States was the end of our struggle and it's like, oh Nope. No, there's so much more to do. <laughs> Honestly, I was one of those gay guys that didn't really know much about my history. I didn't know much about really much. And I have been exposed to just in this last year, uh non binary, trans people, um, lesbians and just really getting their story and their side of things. I it's it's overwhelming and, and it's such a sense of awe. It's an education for me. <laughs> I guess that's where I'm going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. I, I think yeah, I mean, it's, something you know, better. It's always, what were you say? It's always a good idea to just, just, it's just always nice to, you know, I don't know, continue to expand your experience and, you know, collect stories from people, hear people with different experiences than your own. It's, it's so easy to get caught in your bubble of your own sphere of existence that you don't, you know, if you never expose yourself to people who are experiencing life differently, of course, your ideas will never be challenged. One of the themes, the running themes in our show is, is community and uh, like the, the support that you can find. A lot of times it's your family. It sounds like your family is very supportive. Sometimes people's family are not that supportive and they have to go to outside organizations or mm-hmm. friends of their own. When you were when you were coming up and coming out, did you uh, were there any organizations that helped you mm-hmm. along the way or gave you support? I, I had, you know, maybe two or three friends in high school that were also queer, and we actually started in my high school, we started a GSA, and we were very lucky in that there were two um, teachers in that school who were, um, you know, who were lesbians and who were, you know, now they're they're married, but they were, you know, in a domestic partnership with one another, and they actually ended up becoming our advisors. That really kind of allowed me to tap into a, lo- very, a local queer community And we got the chance to go to a conference called Models of Pride, where we met people from GLSEN, which is the, you know, Gay Lesbian Student Education Network, or I think they've changed what the acronym means at this point, GSA Network. So early on, like being able to do activist work with other organizations really solidified that for me. But, you know, even like in high school and even going through college, I didn't really, I felt like in in high school, I had a good tie on the queer community because of what I was doing with the GSA. And then when I was in college, I really kind of let a lot of that queer community lapse. And then I got out of college and suddenly I was not really interested in hanging out with straight people. (laughs) 
<laughs> so my my friend group is like just literally a whole bunch of queers at this point. And on and a lot of my I've gotten a lot of support and a lot of you know, feelings of family over the years through through online fandom, through fandom communities is really where I I f- have felt. Are you a, still in the Buffy family. fan uh, fan room? Yeah, actually, um, <laughs> there's there's been a nice resurgence of it. There's a there's another uh, fantastic podcast called <laughs> Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and most of the people who are fans of that are queer. It's run by two queer women, and. Um, yeah, that's that's been really interesting to get back into. Um, but I I go to a um, convention called TGI Femslash. Thank God it's Femslash that is specifically dedicated to f- you know female female pairings in online you know in fandoms for um, you know various media, and that has really become like like a family, and we all support each other. We all constantly talk to one another. That's actually how my co-host Gretchen and I met. Uh, we actually met at TGI Femslash, and we both had been talking about wanting to do a you know queer history podcast for several years and we both looked at each other and said hey if you're serious i'm serious like how long does it take for you to um prepare for one of your episodes it depends i think it depends on our topic um sometimes we'll have a pretty dense topic especially if it's um we tend to to break it up into two kind of spheres we have um concept focused episodes where we focus on a, a time period and history or um certain set of behaviors certain set of um cultural trends or we'll uh, focus on people specific people from history and talk about their lives and the people one the people ones tend to be a little bit lighter research but sometimes it could take us up to you know like like between a week to two weeks to research something and we are like really kind of silly uh we we call ourselves gave we call ourselves <laughs> gave in claws because we will suddenly just basically write a you know a research paper for fun like we'll just go at a google doc outline and suddenly we're at 30 pages <laughs> we and we're like, oh gosh <laughs> oh boy <laughs> yeah we get we get into the weeds we get really excited and it's you know I think that's how I'm, I feel really, you know, it's, this started out as a fun thing for the both of us, and the response to it has been really eye-opening. You know, we thought it would be just a couple of our friends from TGIFM slash listening to us, and uh, the fact that it's being listened to kind of all over the world, and the fact that people are getting such value out of it has been really touching, and I feel like that's, that's, the way that I've really been feeling like I can give back to the queer community and help people create the sense of community around them, knowing that they are rooted toward, rooted to a long, long, rich history and a long line of people that they can relate to, even if you're the only queer person that you know, even if it's not safe for you to be out, even if you're in a country where, you know, it's, you know, homosexuality is punishable by the death penalty, knowing that there are people all over the world and have been all over the world since the beginning of human history, I think, gives you a placement in the world. How did you get into history? Yeah, uh, we actually, we were both uh, history majors. I was a European history major, and I specifically focused on um, medieval women. And I also um, have a theater background as well, and so I really liked the... um, the kind of interaction between history and media uh, really fascinated me. And Gretchen also, you know, comes from a historical background and she she did some work in, in uh, 
a lot of like religious history and rabbinic texts. I can't remember exactly the things that she has uh, done, but she has, you know, she has a master's degree as well. Um, so we we both come from an academic background, um, but, you know, neither of us do that in our professional lives. Um, so it's been really fun to get back to that. Um, you know, it, it keeps gotcha. it keeps drawing me back. <laughs> and it's it's really nice to kind of go back to the things that I did in college, too, and finding them really relevant. I, I got to email one of my favorite professors from college and be like, hey, I got to use this this article and this argument <laughs> that in this poem that we discussed in this episode uh, that we discussed in your class on medieval uh, religious women. And, you know, I got to use this in an episode. And it was really cool. I went back to my thesis. That was nice. really neat. So uh, we've talked mm-hmm. a little bit about your podcast, but is there anything, because First of all, I'm thankful that you're willing to share your short, your story with us. But is there any is there any oh, other thank you so much for or, having me uh, thing that you're doing that you want to kind of throw a plug at or? <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, that's that's kind of my baby right now. You know, I'm hoping to you know I do I do very different things in my professional life. I currently work at a um, science cool. museum in San Francisco. But um, yeah, it's uh, I don't know. This has been kind of my my first solo project that's really gotten off the ground. Um, I hope you know in the future to continue continue my my creative endeavors I have you know kind of ideas percolating in the back of my head about doing various media podcasts I, I'm really really enjoying this medium it is fun but yeah so, <laughs> yeah usually like casually I'm you know tend to be on Twitter and ranting about you know queer TV and comics and I hope to do some some volunteer work around uh you know media representation for yeah, you sound like a well. really good person <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you <laughs> I mean, it's basically like, you know, if it's gay, I'm in. So There's a bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, do you feel there's anything else that uh, you didn't get to cover or anything else about your out story that you want people to know? Any regrets? You know, honestly, I, I don't think that I would do anything different. I mean, I I think that the way that I discovered things was pretty organic. Um, you know, the only thing that I, I would imagine if I could do anything differently was like, is actually meeting Liza <laughs> Dushku. Who knows? Um, I do remember having like a really embarrassing fan site for her, like back in the days of GeoCities. And well, Lee, thank you so much for uh, <laughs> taking the time. And, and honestly, for the for my listeners, uh, Lee is just really advanced this podcast technically like 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 oh. 10 years <laughs> thank you <laughs> um so hopefully we can get some more guests from uh, other parts uh, outside of phoenix we'll we'll keep doing that i appreciate it thank you so much yeah thank you so much um if anybody you know wants Please. to see some of the work that i'm doing i'm i'm personally on twitter at a paradox in flux and then uh my podcast can be found at historyisgaypodcast.com and we're also on social media uh, twitter is history Perfect. is gay podcast all right. Yeah. You good? Yeah, thank you so all much. Right. Thank you guys for listening to The Outhouse. <laughs> and uh, all right. Looney Larry? Yeah, he scares me. Volkswagen North Scottsdale employees are worried about their new general manager, Larry. He called NASA to see if they could build an engine that runs on customer satisfaction. That's not normal. Until August 31st, 2018, get a new 2019 Jetta S Automatic for a stupid $16,595. Available only from VW North Scottsdale. Must finance with dealer to qualify and cannot be combined with any other offers. Voices. He hears voices. VW North Scottsdale, your dog-friendly dealership. Get a leash on life. Scottsdale Road in the 101 and VWNorthScottsdale.com. You can find new and existing episodes wherever you get your podcasts or directly at theouthouse.buzzsprout.com. One more? 
Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Outhouse Podcast. We also have a closed Facebook group where you can talk about the show and share in community. Got a story you want to share? You can email us at theouthousepodcast at gmail.com. The Outhouse Podcast is a production of GMN Services, LLC. All content copyrighted. Thank you.